showtime. Welcome to the show. I'm Brent Holland and welcome one and all to Night Fright. Tonight's a perfect night, folks, for you to settle in, get in your favorite chair, get the coffee going, the tea going, even a hot chocolate. Just sit back, relax. You see, folks, tonight we're going to be discussing the John Kennedy assassination. Our guest tonight, Lamar Waldron, is going to take us on a journey. He is live tonight from Atlanta, Georgia. That that journey, folks, is going to begin November 22nd, 1963. Now, why is that date important? That was the date John Kennedy was assassinated. I'm going to take you right now to Daly Plaza. The motorcade has just made a 120-degree turn, having to slow down the main car carrying President Kennedy. That is significant, and we'll get to it in a second. As it inches along westward on a street called Elm Street, it gets closer and closer to a grassy mound. Everybody knows that now as the grassy knoll. Suddenly, shots ring out, and for the next several seconds, a flurry of shots and bullets fills the motorcade car. President Kennedy is mortally wounded, the back of his head blown out. In front of him, Governor Connolly is wounded as well. The car bolts as fast as it can to Parkland Hospital. Now, fans of this show know that last week we had Dr. Robert McClelland on. He takes us right inside Trauma Room 1 when he treated President Kennedy. Tonight, we're looking at other revelations that our guest tonight, Lamar Waldron, is going to bring to us. What are one of those revelations? Try this one. Immediately following the motorcade car, the main car, is a follow-up car. That car contains the Secret Service, who are supposed to be protecting the President. Inside that car as well, huddled together in the front seat, Two of President Kennedy's closest aides, Dave Powers and Kenny O'Donnell. Now, Kenny O'Donnell, folks, for those of you that are familiar with a movie called 13 Days, Kenny O'Donnell is played by Kevin Costner in that movie. I urge you all to go and watch it. Now, let's go back to that motorcade. They have seen the shots coming from the grassy knoll. Now, why is that important? Because the official document... The Warren Commission came out and said there was one lone nut assassin, and that was Lee Harvey Oswald, who shot from behind the president. One shooter. Well, we know now that's not true, because there was a shooter in front of the president coming from the grassy knoll. We have two Kennedy aides, top aides, very close to the man, as eyewitnesses. Now, why was that covered up? Why has that never come to light. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. By the way, folks, before we get started, you know all the rumors you've ever heard about the John Kennedy assassination? They're true. Strap in and hang on. Here we go. There is a time to question. There is a time for answers. There is a time to challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time for change. There is a time for truth. 
time is now. Welcome to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for Paranormal and Conspiracy Radio. And now your host, Brent Holland. Welcome, welcome, one and all. Settle in, get comfy, get the coffee going, get the tea going, get a hot chocolate going. Wonderful night to settle in. We're going to be looking at the John Kennedy assassination with none other than Lamar Waldron, live on Skype right now, all the way from Atlanta. Lamar, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you for joining us tonight. Great to be with you again, Brett. It's wonderful to have you back, my friend. Let's jump in right away, and that synopsis I, I was just going through the whole scenario about Kenny O'Donnell and Dave Powers, two of President Kennedy's closest aide, right in the car directly behind the president, saw the shots coming from the grassy knoll. This is part of your your uh, revelations that you bring in your two books. One's called Legacy of Secrecy and the other one's called Ultimate Sacrifice. Why was this never brought out to the public? Because, indeed, the first time I read about this information was in your books, and nobody's talking about it since. This is explosive. Well, it, it, it is amazing that the mainstream media in, in America, certainly, does not cover that, uh, even though uh, we got the information directly from Dave Powers when he was the head of the JFK Presidential Library in Boston, uh, we arranged for Tom to have a private sit down with him. Tom, uh, you know, went into the office and and Powers pointed to a rocking chair and Tom sat down in this nice rocking chair with a presidential emblem. And Dave Powers said, you know, that is JF, that's one of JFK's rocking chairs from the White House. And, 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 and Tom was actually there to interview Dave Powers about Cuba and something else we'll talk about, which is really at the root of why Dave Powers and Kenny O'Donnell had to change their stories, were pressured to change their stories for the Warren Commission, and they kept quiet about this for years. Um, but, um, but, but as soon as Tom was asking the questions about Cuba... Lamar, Powers, can I just interrupt you for a second? I should tell folks, by the way, folks, those books that I just mentioned before, Legacy of Secrecy and Ultimate Sacrifice, are co-written by a fellow by the name of Tom Hartman. Now, many of you may know that name. Uh, if not, just do a Google. Our guest tonight, Lamar Waldron, and he's talking about uh, two eyewitnesses that saw the shots coming from the grassy knoll. Explosive research explosive revelation because those two eyes witnesses were two of President Kennedy's top aides, Dave Powers and Kenny O'Donnell. Sorry to interrupt you, my friend. I just wanted to orient folks. Thank you. I, I, I had just done Tom's show recently, so I've forgotten. I need to explain who Tom is. Tom is America's leading progressive radio host and TV host right now. So, bravo, bravo. Uh, people will, will uh, know Tom. He's written many, many great books. His are a lot thinner than the ones that he and I, I did together on the JFK assassination. But, so, uh, but, but Tom was just stunned when Powers started telling him about seeing the shots from the knoll. Tom was also stunned when Powers said, you know, he and Kenny O'Donnell were told they had to change their stories for the good of the country. And, and Powers said he did not know what that meant at the time, but it was, 
It was made clear to him this was national security. It was for the good of the country. If you go back and look at Powers and O'Donnell's uh, testimony and a weird affidavit from uh, Powers and the Warren Commission volumes, not the report, but the the, 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 the many volumes of supporting material, you know, they kind of hem and haw and kind of say what they were supposed to shot from the back, but they each try to get in something about the shots from the front. Uh, and it was really not until Tom sat down to talk with Dave Powers all those years later, I believe it was 1990, that Powers finally realized why it was for the good of the country and why for the, to prevent World War III, just one year after the Cuban Missile Crisis, he had to, to basically lie about what he saw. Now, again, if people should wonder, well, why should we really believe Lamar Waldron and Tom Hartman? Um, on Powers and O'Donnell, we've got pretty good backup there. Uh, the, the, the head of our lower house of Congress in the 1980s was Tip O'Neill from Boston, most powerful congressman in America in the 1980s. Uh, and he was close to JFK, as were Powers and O'Donnell. And uh, Powers and O'Donnell told that to Tip O'Neill. Tip O'Neill put it in his autobiography years ago that they saw the shots from the knoll and were told they had to change their story. So people can, you don't have to even look at our books. You can find it there. But this all goes back in many ways to the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, which we here in America thought we were going to get killed. Uh, in Georgia, where I am, we're next to Florida, so we knew those Russian missiles you know, might just make it up to us. Here in Canada as well, folks. Uh, October uh, 1961, folks, uh, the world was uh, on high alert. Actually, 62, forgive me for that. And um, I was able to speak with Ted Sorensen about that. If you go to the www.nightfrightshow.com website, you will find Ted Sorensen's archive there about that show. Uh, Ted Sorensen was JFK's aide as well. Uh, some would argue uh, his closest aide and his speechwriter. Sorry to interrupt you, Lamar. Okay. And Ted Sorensen, brilliant, brilliant speechwriter. And so, uh, though again, Ted Sorensen, when you hear what happened, if you can imagine Powers and O'Donnell were not even told about the secret operation your listeners are going to hear about tonight, Ted Sorensen wasn't told either. Uh, and people should know, Tom and I, back at the 25th anniversary of JFK's murder, 1988, for, for two or three years, we looked at every theory, and I mean every theory, you know, did the Secret Service driver shoot JFK? Was it LBJ? Was it Hoover? Was it the CIA? Was it, you know, the military industrial company? We looked at every theory, came up to the same dead ends and lack of evidence everybody does when they go down those roads. There's, you know, it sounds good in theory, but there's no evidence. And so that's when we decided we need to talk to people who were real close to John and Robert Kennedy, who might know things that they've never said or that they couldn't even testify about. Powers was the second of the Kennedy AIDS associates that we talked to. The first was JFK's Secretary of State, Dean Rusk. I didn't know that. Okay. And, and Dean Rusk, when we went to, when I I, I did the interview with Dean Rusk, uh, you know, and then filled Tom in, um, I was pretty shocked. Uh, I, I was doing an interview for another uh, uh, Georgia Public Television, a TV show about Rusk's reminiscences. Tom and I, we wanted to know what Rusk might know about the Kennedy assassination in Cuba. Because we, we did keep feeling there was some Cuban connection to this. We didn't know why. So I was pretty stunned when Secretary of State Dean Rusk told me, he said, uh, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis never really ended. We were preparing a second invasion of Cuba at the time JFK was killed. 
Really? It's like, what? I, I was, and, and I told the former Secretary of State, I was like, well, surely you must be mistaken. And he was like, you know, look, 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 look my boy. You know, I was younger then. He said, I was the Secretary of State. I, I know these things. I was in the secret cabinet meetings. The Cuban Missile Crisis that you saw in the movie, the Kevin Costner movie you mentioned, it never really ended. Here's why. And you can see this in newspapers at the time. The head of Russia and JFK reached a deal to end the crisis. And it called for missiles in Turkey and everything and no invasion pledge against Cuba. But Fidel Castro had to allow UN inspections for weapons of mass destruction in Cuba to verify that all the missiles were gone. Okay, because otherwise, how could we know they weren't hidden in caves or brought We couldn't know that. So UN, JFK, first president, used those terms, UN weapons inspections for weapons of mass destruction. Well, how do you think Fidel Castro felt about that? He wasn't part of the deal. He wasn't consulted. You know, Khrushchev said, look, I struck this deal with Kennedy. Well, Fidel Castro said, no, I'm not going to allow those inspections. Now, that meant and this is straight from Rusk, it's all backed up by documentation, not just in Legacy of Secrecy, you can find it in other places too, with the National Security Archive, a, a good private liberal uh, nonprofit group in Washington. Um, um, Fidel wouldn't allow the inspection, so there was no non-invasion pledge. Now, if the U.S. had tried to openly invade Cuba again in 63, yeah, that, that would have triggered World War III, no doubt. So, but, but the 64 election was coming up. What was JFK going to do? Because his potential challengers, Goldwater, Nixon, Rockefeller, they were all beating him up in the press, claiming there may still be missiles in Cuba. That was only going to get worse in 64. Lamar, so, may I interrupt you just one more time? For those of you that are too young to remember the Cuban Missile Crisis, and I know there's a lot now, um, the Cuban Missile Crisis took place October 1st, 1963. What happened was Cuba, everybody knows Cuba, uh, Fidel Castro is a communist country. They were aligned with the Soviet bloc back then. Don't forget, this is a Cold War. The world was divided between the East and the West. And what happened was the Soviet bloc put offensive nuclear weapons into Cuba. That would give about five minutes between Cuba and Washington if they were to launch one. Not enough time for the president to escape. A U-2 spy plane was flying over Cuba, took pictures. They saw the missiles being put together. Kennedy told Khrushchev to pull the missiles out. And what happened was an escalation. We came that close, folks, that close to not being here right now. And I'm not kidding. Uh, this makes 9-11 look like a picnic. What happened in October 1st, 1962. Once again, www.nightfrightshow.com. Listen to Ted Sorensen. He wrote that letter to Khrushchev that night to get him to take the missiles out of Cuba. That show is there free for you to download. Now, again, I apologize. I know I'm going to be doing this a lot tonight because I just want to keep the younger folks um, that are unaware of this history involved in this because this is um, living history we're talking about right now. Thank you, Lamar. By the way, folks, Lamar Waldrum, our, our uh, guest tonight, his books, Legacy of Secrecy, Ultimate Sacrifice, as always with all of our guests, if you're watching right now on television or listening around the country from coast to coast to coast or even on the internet around the world, and I know you are a plethora 
As always, go to the www.nightfrightshow.com website, click on the book cover. That will take you right to a place where you can order the book online from the comfort of your own home. And believe me, tonight is one of those nights. I hope you're settling in and enjoying our guest tonight, Lamar Waldron. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. So, so back to Rusk. So, yeah. so, so he was telling us this. And, and he was saying, yeah, things were, were looking bad because in the, in the 64 presidential campaign, and that was going to gear up, you know, in January 64, but there were already, you know, the people were jockeying and, and they were beating up on JFK in the press, claiming missiles were still in Cuba. JFK had tried to get those UN weapons inspections. Fidel would not allow them. Uh, JFK was going through the UN. Uh, what was he going to do? You know, I mean, he, he was. there was no way to prove a negative that there weren't those missiles without those inspections. And so he was, he was faced with, and this was the height of the Cold War. I'm glad you brought that up. People should know both the U.S. and Russia were armed to the teeth and at that time could have destroyed each country several times over. You know, Canada would have been collateral damage yeah. too. Yeah. And so it's just, you know, because all the missiles would have been flying over Canada. And so... You know, it was literally World War III. So, so put yourself in JFK's position. So, so what, one thing he did, he, he tried to, to find a secret peace accommodation with Fidel, and that's been known for, for, for a, a, a few decades now. That, you know, he, he tried two different routes, but that wasn't really producing solid results, certainly not before those campaigns kicked off. And, and this whole thing became a political football with the Republican conservative candidates in America, each trying to outdo each other with how they wanted to invade Cuba. So JFK, he already has hands full with Vietnam. I mean, a hundred people had died in Vietnam at that point. After JFK had no combat troops in. He had his hands full there. So put yourself in JFK's position. What do you do? Well, here's what happened. In uh, May of 1963, the number three man in Cuba, the head of the Cuban army, the founder of the Cuban army, much more powerful and well-known in Cuba than Che Guevara. Che was Argentinian. Uh, uh, this person, Commander Juan Almeida, and please excuse my Spanish pronunciation, much more popular and powerful in Cuba, really, than anybody except for Fidel and Raul, because he commanded the army. He founded the army. And then, and for the next 40-some-odd years, he was the highest black official in Cuba, a country that is 70% of African descent. So, Commander Almeida was not a communist. And people also don't realize Fidel didn't, uh, you know, uh, liberate Cuba on his own. There were many people that helped him. Commander Almeida, Che, many, many others. One by one, they had been pushed out of the government, exiled, in some cases killed. Commander Almeida could see the writing on the wall by May of 63. And uh, he saw that Fidel was becoming just another dictator. They'd fought a revolution to throw out a dictator, Batista. You know, so, and Almeida knew that his, his time in power was, was you know, his, his, his time, you know, maybe he would last a year, six months, but Fidel would, was slowly taking the power. Almeida might remain a figurehead a year later, but he had limited time. He contacted the highest Cuban exile aide and personal friend of Robert Kennedy and said, look, I will stage a palace coup against Fidel. Uh, indication was Raul would be killed as well as Fidel, but 
Almeida would not take the blame for killing Fidel because Fidel was very popular in Cuba still. Raul, by the way, folks, is uh, Fidel Castro's brother. Sorry, Lamar. Sure, he was currently ruling Cuba since Fidel is, is rather ill. And, and so you, had, you still had, I believe it was eight or 9,000 Russians in Cuba. It's not combat troops, but advisors, like we had advisors in Vietnam. So how do you neutralize them? If Fidel dies, hey, maybe they'll just try to take over Cuba for Russia. Well, that's a brilliant plan. According to people who worked with Almeida and declassified CIA files, most people have overlooked for years, um, if Fidel's death were blamed on a Russian or a Russian sympathizer, I was saying a fair point, the Cuban committee member uh, from the U.S., um, then Almeida would say, these dastardly Russians, they have killed our beloved Fidel, the Russians are going to try to take over, and then Almeida could actually ask for help from the United States and from Cuban exiles who were trained and ready uh, and respected in Cuba, uh, ask for help from them to prevent a Soviet takeover. And to the world, it would look like Fidel had suddenly been killed on December 1st, 1963 by some dastardly a Russian or a Russian sympathizer, maybe somebody who lived in Russia for a time. And uh, and, and Almeida had taken the reins of government, this popular figure, and controlled the army, so he controlled the media. He could set up a patsy, no problem. And and, and then Almeida would say, look, we, we need U.S. assistance, or the Russians, hey, they've killed Fidel, who's to say they're not going to kill me, you know. And so, but in reality, from May of 63 through the summer and the fall, there was very close coordination between John and Robert Kennedy and Commander Almeida on exactly what would happen and who would be involved in the post-coup coalition government. The Kennedys wanted it to lead to eventual free elections and democracy. Almeida was fine with that. The Organization of American States would supervise it. You would not believe the thousands of pages of plans that were made for the coup, the, the invasion if needed, and the post-coup government. Now, maybe Almeida wouldn't need the invasion. Maybe he would be able to you know, eliminate rule and Fidel and and the people would buy his explanation, and, and maybe he, would, he wouldn't need American troops. But we could not have another Bay of Pigs. And for your younger uh, uh, audience, the Bay of Pigs was a spectacular failure uh, of an invasion of Cuba, U.S.-sponsored, some Cuban exiles, and it was a big disaster in the spring of 1963. And the U.S., JFK said, look, I'm not going to use regular military forces for the Bay of Pigs in 61. The CIA tried to force his hand. JFK wouldn't do it. You know, the poor Cubans got captured, horrible conditions, eventually got out by the man who became Bobby Kennedy's aide and the link with Commander Almeida. So flash ahead to 63. So, so you've got these secret plans being made. Now, I was shocked when Dean Russ told me he didn't know these plans were real until after JFK died. And I was confused. Because how can you make plans without knowing all about Commander Almeida? Well, as Rusk explained, one reason the Bay of Pigs failed, aside from treachery by the CIA, was it was an open secret. Fidel knew the US, that there was going to be this exile invasion. Newspapers knew it. You know, his agents knew it. He arrested a lot of the Cuban resistance before the Bay of Pigs. So it was an open secret because so many Washington officials knew. Their assistants, aides, and undersecretaries knew. 
know, they talked to journalists every, it became an open secret. So Russ told me, he said, I only found out that literally the day after JFK died, this, we were making real plans that, that he, as, as, as it later turned out from looking at all the files, um, he had been told, look, we need to make plans. He was told, the Secretary of Defense was told, this other high officials, we need to make plans in case we find someone to stage a coup. So let's make all these plans in case we find somebody. Russ didn't know, hey, they already had the man. And these weren't, you know, what-if plans. These were the real plans. And so, and, and Russ said he didn't blame JFK at all because he said, look, if JFK had told me, I had to tell the Secretary of Defense, I had to tell my undersecretaries, we all have our assistants and, and office, you know, it, it, no way to keep it a secret. Because remember this, Brent, this is very important. If the coup had occurred, as JFK had hoped, and, and, and if it had been successful, it was never supposed to be known that JFK and Almeida had worked together on this palace coup. That wasn't supposed to come out a year later, 10 years later, 30. It could never be known during anyone's lifetime because, you know, it was just supposed to look like this wasn't all a setup, which it was. Uh -huh. And so that's why there was so much seriously. And, and, and certainly if it came out in the days, weeks, or months after the coup, then you're talking World War III in the Soviet Union. So this is why what, what, many people have heard this old uh, saying for years, well, if you figure out who did the cover-up, you'll know who did the crime. Not true. Powers and O'Donnell had to cover up. They were, they were so close to JFK and to Bobby. They weren't part of the killing. They were part of the cover-up, but for the best of reasons. Bobby Kennedy, you know, you had McClellan here. You know, uh, we, the, we, we, we'll talk about the autopsy later. Everybody agrees Bobby Kennedy, well, the, the autopsy was strange. Bobby Kennedy wound up with the crucial evidence that could have proved conspiracy like JFK's brain. Bobby Kennedy wasn't, didn't kill his brother, but he was part of the cover-up, but for the best reasons, to prevent World War III and to protect the life of Commander Almeida, the guy who was number three in Cuba in 1963, and officially at least, stayed number three until he died just a couple of years ago. So that's why so much secrecy for so long. Folks, we're speaking with one of the best researchers on the planet. We're speaking with Lamar Waldron. His <coughs> books are called Legacy of Secrecy, which I urge you all to get, and Ultimate Sacrifice. As he mentioned before, in both cases, you're probably better off getting the paperback editions because they come out later with more information added to them. Easy way to get all the guests on this show's books, simply go to the www.nightfrightshow.com, www.nightfrightshow.com website. Click on the book cover for tonight's guest. That'll take you right to a place where you can order these important books right from the comfort of your own home. Lamar, this begs many, many questions. Did Vice President Johnson know about the coup that was about to take? Ah, he shakes he, his head no. No, because Bobby and Johnson hated each other. You know, JFK could tolerate Lyndon, and they needed Lyndon politically. You know, the talk that they were going to kick Lyndon Johnson off the ticket in 64 after doing this big motorcade all through Texas. No, I mean, if, if you kicked the sitting vice president of one of the largest land area states, you know, in a southern state at that, off the ticket. There's no way JFK's will. 
And uh, just let me interject also, folks, that uh, Ted Sorensen told me that because I asked him if, if, he, if they were going to get rid of um, Vice President Johnson. He said no. He was on the ticket for sure. And so, I can tell you, if they had been going to do it, they, you know, JFK sure wouldn't have gone to Texas with Lyndon Johnson. You know, I mean, how would that have looked? So, yeah. um, so, no, Lyndon Johnson didn't know anything about it. So, you, you're the vice president. You become president. And, and the next day, you're learning. Several things. You're learning we were poised and ready to invade Cuba. You're learning that, that, that your hated enemy, Bobby Kennedy, still Attorney General, was personally in charge of those plans. JFK had delegated most of that planning to Bobby. And, and, and you're starting to get reports that there were some sort of official Cuban, Castro-Cuban connection to JFK's murder. And you know that if, if that reaches the public or the conservative hawkish members of Congress, they're going to call for an invasion of Cuba. You've got one ready, but hey, if you invade Cuba under these circumstances, you know, you're triggering World War III. And so if you're Lyndon Johnson, what do you do? And remember, those shots had flown over Lyndon Johnson's head for people to think he was behind it. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, if somebody had knocked the rifleman, you know, Lyndon would have been splattered. But so... So what Lyndon Johnson did is, hey, we've got to cut off any real public or thorough investigation of the assassination or it's going to lead to World War III. People should know, too, Lyndon Johnson did not want the Warren Commission. J. Edgar Hoover did not want the Warren Commission. Hoover and, and LBJ were friends. They wanted to do the investigation themselves. You know who wanted the Warren Commission? Bobby Kennedy's associates. They're the ones who wanted the Warren Commission. So, so many people think, yeah, Lyndon had JFK killed. Here's the other great, incredible thing. Lyndon's learning the day after JFK's assassination in Dallas. Lyndon is learning for the first time. JFK was almost killed four days earlier in Tampa, Florida, in a motorcade there under circumstances that would have been almost identical to Dallas. And, and, and again, there were Cuban connections there. See, so that's why to Lyndon, Lyndon believed and said until his death, he said in private to associates, that Fidel had killed JFK. He believed the phony evidence pointing to Fidel. Now, who planted the phony evidence pointing to Fidel? We know that now. We name him. What, and, and they all tie back to uh, people connected to the three mafia bosses who confessed their roles in JFK's murder, Carlos Marcello of Louisiana and Texas, Sancho Traficante, the godfather of Tampa, where JFK was almost killed four days before Dallas, the and Fuzzelli of the Chicago Mafia, the Chicago Mobs man in Bakes in Hollywood, and JFK was almost killed in, in, in a canceled Chicago motorcade three weeks before. So those people confessed, but they used people like CIA agent and longtime Mafia hoodlum Bernard Barker and Barker's associates to, to, and uh, David Morales, a very high-ranking CIA officer who headed operations at the, at the world's second-largest CIA station down in Miami. Um, Barker was, had worked for Traficante for years. Morales was close personal friends with Chicago mob, Mafia Don Johnny Roselli. So Barker and Morales both helped to spread plant ahead of time phony evidence pointing to Fidel and plant more afterwards, by the way. And so you've got this phony evidence going up to Lyndon Johnson, the head of the CIA. All, all these people are seeing this phony evidence, and they're thinking, well, Fidel did it. 
you know, we're poised to invade, uh, but if we do, it's World War III. So we just got to cover all this up and keep it out of the press. People awful, people often overlook, you know, the uh, the Tampa attempt was never discovered until Tom and I found the newspaper article in one edition of a Tampa newspaper after looking at thousands of pages. I think we discovered the Tampa attempt back in uh 1992-93. And uh, but Chicago has been known since the 70s of the Chicago attempt that resulted in a canceled motorcade. Uh, but that was kept out of the press at the time. Chicago motorcade, the real reason for the cancellation, and, and I talked this over with Pierre Salinger, JFK's press secretary, who had to issue the two phony excuses in the space of half an hour for why the, the uh, November 2nd Chicago motorcade was canceled last minute. That was kept out of the papers, the real reason, by the Kennedys. The entire Tampa attempt, where JFK did go through with his motorcade, thinking that two gunmen were at large and were going to try to shoot him from a tall building, uh, it was the Kennedys that kept that out of the press while JFK was alive. Tiny article appears the day after JFK's killed. Press secrecy clamps down again. And, and even Bobby Kennedy kept that out of the press uh, throughout his life. So again, we keep seeing just knowing who helped with the cover-up does not tell you who did the crime, but if you follow who planted that phony evidence, who had the motive, means, and opportunity, and who confessed and made credible confessions. A lot of people have heard this, this weird tape that E. Howard Hunt made, where he, he blames Johnson and all this stuff. Nowhere on that tape does, does E. Howard Hunt say that his personal assistant, Bernard Barker, CIA agent, you know, was working for the Mafia, Santo Traficante. Nowhere on that tape does, does Hunt reveal what he knew about, which was the coup plan with Almeida. E. Howard Hunt was the key CIA officer, along with one other Watergate figure, for the coup plan. E. Howard Hunt was a much higher, more respected CIA officer than the CIA tried to appear after Watergate when they made him look like a bumbling idiot and... The CIA director in 72 barely knew who Hunt was. No, no. I mean, the, the CIA director in 72 was the essentially the head of operations for the entire CIA in 63, Richard Helms. Hunt was Helms' protege. Um, Hunt was very high level, and Hunt was the CIA official personally in charge of arranging to get Almeida's wife and two daughters out of Cuba before the coup arranging a payment of a half million dollars to a Swiss bank before the coup. Oh, only 50000 was actually paid. By the way, Commander Almeida's wife and two daughters never went back to Cuba. They came out on a pretext, like a medical treatment thing. So Castro didn't think anything odd, but they never went back because they were worried if they did, you know, that they might be arrested. You know, the, the coup might not stay secret for 40-some-odd years as it did. So... Again, if we go back, so, so why, why is the mafia after Kennedy? Well, this, oddly enough, gets to the Canadian, uh, the miniseries being shown in Canada about the Kennedys. Because I find in America, if you mention the American presidency in the mafia, the first name that anybody under 50 says is, well, the Kennedys. They had some connection with the mafia. The truth is, in many ways, the opposite of, of that conventional view. Lamar, just let me stop you right there before we jump into the 
uh, mafia connection with all of this. Folks, I just want to tell you who we're speaking with tonight, if you're listening on the radio or watching on television or around the world, as you will, night, day, whatever, you can download this show whenever you want. www.nightfrightshow.com. Our guest tonight, all the way from Atlanta via Skype. Isn't technology amazing? It's just amazing. Uh, Lamar Waldron, he's got a couple of books out called Legacy of Secrecy, Ultimate Sacrifice. As always, just click on the book cover of tonight's guest. That'll take you right to a place where you can order his books online. Now, Lamar Waldron, folks, has been investigating the JFK assassination. Is it 20 years? I don't want to date you, my friend. Since 1988, I'm afraid it's more than 20 years. It's, okay. uh, this will be the 23rd year. <laughs> 23 <laughs> years, folks. I had no gray hairs, and I actually had more hair when I started investigating. You and me both, my friend. I think that's something that, you know, it happens. What do they say? Stuff happens? Something like that? Yeah. Anyways, Lamar Waldron's being very gracious Stuff. tonight. Stuff, yes. He's joining us tonight for, via Skype, as I said before, from... Uh, from Atlanta. Now, I want to point you to the Night Fright website because there's a wealth of information there, folks. If you're interested in this topic matter, Lamar has been on this show before when it was just a radio show. All those shows are there in the archives for you to download free. Let me emphasize that again, free. Nobody makes any money off this show. Uh, it is a complete volunteer show for me. Um, I even pay for the website out of my own pocket. If you want to make a donation, thank you. I would love you to. There's information on the website there. The point I'm making is there is a wealth of information there from first-person witnesses like Dr. Robert McClelland, who was on the show last week. He was JFK's surgeon uh, moments after JFK was shot. He was brought into Trauma Room 1 at Parkland Hospital. Dr. Robert McClellan worked on him. Abraham Bolden, the first African-American Secret Service agent. Lamar had just mentioned that plot that was uh, afoot December 2nd, 1963 in Chicago. Abraham Bolden tells that story. He was the first African-American Secret Service agent on presidential protective duty. He was not on duty that day. November 22nd, 1963, protecting the president, and to this day it haunts him. Explosive shows there, folks, for you to, to listen to and watch. Um, all that to say is www.nightfrightshow.com. Wealth of information. I would love to get some feedback from you as well. Thank you for all the regulars that keep sending me emails. Folks, if you're new to this show, suggest guests. Send feedback. Night Fright Show at gmail.com. We're going to go back via Skype to Atlanta, all the way to Atlanta, and we're going to pick it up now. Lamar has just walked us through why there was a cover-up in the JFK assassination. Now we're going to talk about the folks who may have actually been behind it, the Mafia, and that's where we're going to go right now. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. And the mob basically ran most of America because America's vice president, Richard Nixon, was basically supported by the mob from his, his start in politics. People like Carlos Marcello, this powerful godfather, and, and Roselli, they were not even citizens. It was known Marcello was not a citizen. He should have been deported, but of course, uh, you know, when, when, when you give a lot of support to people like Richard Nixon, uh, you, you, you can just openly flout the law. 
So, so what was America to do? Hoover was denying that there was organized crime in the 1950s. Uh, the organized criminals felt so confident that a lot of the godfathers had a big meeting up in New York, and it was only the, the accidental discovery of that meeting by some police that, that even made Hoover acknowledge, well, maybe the mafia does exist, but we don't need to do anything about it. So who came to America's rescue? And the mafia, by the way, was starting to trying to take over labor unions like the Teamsters. Well, Senator John F. Kennedy and his, his chief counsel, his brother Bobby, they spearheaded crime hearings in our Senate, our upper house of Congress in the late 1950s. And they specifically went after Carlos Marcello, who was dragged in front of the committee, and Sancho Traficanti, who hid out in Cuba, and, and members of the Chicago Mafia, like Roselli's boss, Sam Giancana, who was dragged in front of the committee, and there's great footage of him sparring with Bobby Kennedy. I mean, they just hated each other. And, and they went after the guy who was funneling a lot of money to the Mafia, Jimmy Hoffa, who was very, he shared a lawyer with Traficanti, very close to Traficanti and Marcello. So, the Kennedys went after the mob. That's how JFK made his name. JFK pledged in that 1960 campaign that he was going to go after the mob if he was elected. Now, the mafia loves to win no matter what. They played both sides. They gave a little support to JFK. They gave the vast majority of their support to their man, Richard Nixon. You know, but via Frank Sinatra, JFK got a little mob support, you know, through his father who had connections and everything. But but I can tell you, you know, Richard Nixon got far, far more support from the mafia than JFK did, you know, because the mafia wanted Nixon to win. And that's one reason Nixon could not contest that close race, because he had taken so much mafia support. So JFK gets elected and he does something rare for any politician. He kept his promise. He waged the biggest war against the mafia America had ever seen to that point and has ever seen to this day. And he made his brother the attorney general, and they went after the mob hard. Now, did JFK have any mob connections after that? Well, he had a weakness for women, just as a lot of conservative politicians do. You must Only be clairvoyant, Lamar, because I was just about to ask you about Marilyn Monroe and well, I, I, I was going to say, you know, in, in America, it's fine to talk about you know Kennedys or Bill Clinton, even though statistically, fifty percent more conservative politicians politicians have affairs. I mean, that's just a statistical fact here in America, at least. But they don't get talked about in the media. You know, in, in America, it's, it's great to talk about these, these more liberal types. And yeah, JFK had a weakness for women, no doubt, just like a lot of Republican politicians and presidents have. And Marilyn Monroe uh, was certainly friends with Frank Sinatra, also close to Johnny Roselli and to Sam Giancana. Uh, Judith Exner was very, very close to Sam Giancana and Johnny Roselli. So, the mob tried to get to JFK and get him to back off through that, but no way. Wouldn't do it. Broke off relationships with both women. Marilyn may well have died because she would not compromise. Oh, can you uh, tell us about that? Well, most people overlook the fact. That there have been so many stories about what happened the night Marilyn died, it's hard to sort out because, you know, there have been so many stories told for money. But what people overlook, the weekend before she died, she spent that with Sam Giancana, Roselli's boss, and Frank Sinatra at, at this gambling casino up in uh, Reno, uh, the Calneva Lodge, and they got compromised. It was basically like a or drunken, drugged orgy, very compromising photos that would have shocked America to see of Marilyn Monroe. 
And uh, this was in a time when they were actually plotting to kill Bobby Kennedy. It's like they were going to either blackmail Bobby or kill him. Imagine if Bobby had been killed at Marilyn Monroe's. And, uh, you know, the cover-ups that would have triggered probably brought down the JFK presidency. Well, apparently Marilyn would not play ball. And so, you know, either she's killed or that is a potential reason to commit suicide. Um, so, and, and, and here's what happened. Uh, by, the, by, by the month after her death, Hoffa wanted to kill Bobby. Giancana wanted to kill Bobby. Carlos Marcello, much more powerful than Giancana. Sam Giancana of Chicago, people have heard of. He wasn't even a godfather. He was a crime boss. Roselli was a mafia down below him. Traficanti and Marcello were godfathers. They ruled unquestioned. Didn't, didn't feud with surrounding godfathers. It wasn't like the New York Mafia where you got five families. No, they were unquestioned rulers of their domain. They said, look, and Marcello told an FBI informant, he said, look, if we kill Bobby Kennedy, JFK's just going to send the army in to get me. If I kill Bobby, that's what's going to happen. And he was speaking from experience because when Marcello and Traficanti had murdered the attorney general-elect of the state of Alabama in 1954, President Eisenhower had actually declared martial rule and sent the army in to this little city called Phoenix City. Now, they never went after Marcello Traficanti for that because, of course, Nixon, you know, got support from them and their associates. But, you know, that had happened before. And so Marcello told the FBI for him, he said, look, I killed Bobby, JFK's going to send in the army. But, and, and Marcello was, was, was rough-hewn and not well-schooled, but he was politically sophisticated, had his own powerful Washington attorneys, had his own Washington lobbyists he shared with, with the, the, the country of Nicaragua. Marcello said, everybody knows Bobby and LBJ hate each other. From the 60 campaign, when JFK ran against LBJ for the nomination, JFK got the nomination, LBJ agreed to be vice president, but Bobby and Lyndon never mended fences. So Marcello told the FBI before, and he said, look, if I kill JFK, Bobby's power is over once Lyndon becomes president. So from the fall of 1962, this was not something the mafia rushed into. From the fall of 62, Marcello and Traficanti told a different FBI informant they were going to kill JFK. They had a whole year to plan this, to, to carefully groom their patsy. And so, and, and remember, their, their main plan to kill JFK in Chicago had a backup plan of Tampa. Dallas was the backup plan for Tampa. So even the mafia's backup plan had a backup plan. There were backup patsies. I mean, what would happen if Oswald got hit by a truck the week before the assassination? There was an ex-Marine in Chicago who actually was arrested, by the way. Had a lot of weapons, several parallels to Oswald in the fall of, of, of 63. There was a young Fair Play for Cuba committee member in Tampa who had a dozen parallels to Oswald, actually similar age and physical description. Actually, the, the Tampa patsy, Gilberto Policarpo Lopez, who was a Cuban exile, had lived in Cuba, gone back to Cuba, had a brother being trained in Russia, see, so he could have been claimed to have a Russian connection. Uh, Gilberto Policarpo Lopez fit the initial description in Dallas better than Oswald did. It was almost as if somebody got their wires crossed. And, and in I, fact, I should just interrupt. Lee, Lee, Harvey Os Lee Harvey Oswald, folks, was the purported assassin of JFK. Sorry to interrupt you, because a lot oh, yeah, of folks okay. are going to be confused over that. Sure. In America, we, we know that, yeah, that they, he got the blame, Oswald. So, so for the mafia, 
you know, three cities, three patsies. Uh, and like I say, Gilberto Policarpo Lopez actually went from Tampa to Dallas after the Tampa attempt was called off because Traficante learned from his man on the Tampa police that, that police and JFK knew about the attempt. So why did the mafia kill JFK? Well, this big war is being waged against them. Uh, you can look in the newspapers from the fall of 63. Bobby leaks a series of articles saying he's going to send his own Justice Department people into Las Vegas to run the mafia out of Las Vegas. The mafia could not go back to Cuba. And so their backs were against the wall. Bobby had Bobby did not fully trust uh, New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison. He didn't know how close Garrison might be to Carlos Marcello. So Bobby had his own federal prosecutor in New Orleans that I've talked to prosecuting Marcello for uh, the immigration violation that would get him deported. That trial started the day before the, the, the Chicago motorcade. The trial ended the day of the Dallas motorcade when Marcello had bribed the jury to ensure his acquittal. So Marcello knew on Friday, November 22nd, he was going to be acquitted. He had what was supposedly a celebration for his acquittal planned. It was actually his celebration for JFK's assassination. How does the coup plan fit into this? Well, the mafia clearly wants to get away with murder. And, and, and in Chicago alone, they'd gotten away with a thousand murders. Marcello and Traficanti had ordered numerous hits, never prosecuted, never convictions. Certainly not the hitmen, let alone the people who ordered it. But, you know, this is higher stakes, killing a president. How do you get away, how do you commit murder, that murder, and get away with it? Well, you take something that's, that's so secret, that could trigger World War III, and you use parts of that to kill JFK in a way that you can't possibly expose the real killers without triggering World War III. The Kennedys had banned the Mafia from reopening their casinos in Cuba after the coup. The Kennedys had also banned the Mafia from having any role in the coup plan because the CIA had started working with the Mafia to kill Fidel before JFK was elected. That was going to be the original October surprise. Remember I said Nixon and the Mafia were close? Well, the mafia, the C, Nixon had the CIA hire the mafia to kill Fidel right before the 60 election. Nixon thought that would get him elected as the sitting vice president. Didn't happen. Um, and so, but the mafia was continued to be employed by the CIA, and the CIA did not tell JFK. At one point, they told Bobby in the spring of 62, yeah, we were working for the mafia, but we quit. Not true. They kept working with the mafia. Richard Helms the highest operational official in the CIA. He did not even tell his own CIA director he was continuing to work with the Mafia. Why? Well, Helms apparently viewed his work with the Mafia in the summer and fall of 63 as a kind of backup plan. The CIA only had a supporting role in the JFK Almeida coup plan. Things like the money and the wife and kids. The main role was the U.S. military, especially the Secretary of the Army, Cyrus Vance, and his aides like Alexander Haig. Um, only a dozen U.S. officials knew about Commander Almeida. Secretary of Defense didn't know, Secretary of State didn't know, Powers and O'Donnell didn't know, uh, Secretary of the Army, uh, Cyrus Vance knew, and he reported directly, in this case, to Bobby Kennedy. Bobby knew. Bobby had his, little, uh, his own Cuban exile aides knew. So, very tightly held secret. 
But, as I said, E. Howard Hunt was the CIA liaison to Bobby's aides dealing with Almeida. Hunt's assistant was Bernard Barker, longtime operative for Santo Traficante. So Barker is involved in all the sensitive stuff with the coup plan, and he's telling Traficante everything. So even to the bullet film in Oswald's rifle, to the way that JFK was killed, which was the way Fidel was going to be killed by Almeida, the mob made sure that, JF, that a clear signal was sent, that it looked like Fidel must have found out, used the plan that was going to kill him to kill JFK. And the hope of the mafia was that the invasion would go forward. And, you know, nobody could ever find out they were behind it because it would, it would trigger World War III. And the mafia got much of what they expected. You know, there was a tremendous cover-up that would not go beyond Oswald. Oswald, by the way, you know, the Navy, naval intelligence here in America did a secret investigation. Talked to two different people involved with that. They concluded Oswald was incapable of doing the actual shooting or of masterminding the assassination. Oswald was a low-level CIA asset. You know, from the time he was in the U.S. Marines, the Warren Commission said he was a teenage communist. How many teenage communists joined the United States Marines in the Cold War McCarthy 1950s? None. Oswald did. He tried to join before he was old enough. He joined the Civil Air Patrol first. Now, his, Oswald's father died before he was born. Both of his brothers were in the military. One in an intelligence service that ferreted out communists. Oswald's favorite TV show was I Led Three Lives, one of many shows and, and series and books about people who went under deep cover pretending to be communists, but actually were working for U.S. intelligence. So Oswald was one we're going to have to start to wrap up now. We're coming to the end of the road, my friend. So, uh, so, 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 so I just say that the long story short is Oswald thought he was defecting to Cuba as part of a, one of the low-level yeah. assets for the sum up coming act. He didn't know about the coup plan, but he, he knew something big was coming up. That's what he thought he was going to be doing that day. The mafia tried to kill JFK first in Chicago, motorcade canceled. Tampa, motorcade went ahead, but, but the godfather there found out that authorities knew, so the hit was canceled, succeeded in Dallas. Uh, the phony evidence pointing to Fidel was believed by many. Mafia got away with murder, but now, as people can read, I mean, Marcello eventually, once he was finally in prison in 85, I mean, he just admitted, you know, yeah, uh, I had the son of a bitch killed, SOB. I'll repeat that without the son of a bitch. No, that's yeah. fine. That's fine. Don't worry about it. It's okay. Canada, baby. Don't worry about it. Okay, yeah. I had SOB killed and I would do it again. He was a thorn in my side. I wish I could have done it myself. He talked about meeting Oswald. His pilot, David Ferry, uh, brought Oswald to meet him. Uh, Jack Ruby worked for Carlos Marcello. Marcello owed uh, an impossible amount of money to the IRS and to Marcello, so he had to you know, take care of, of, of killing the Patsy. You're listening to Night Fright, your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. The time is now. And now your host, Brent Holland. Folks, our guest tonight has been Lamar Waldron, Two great books for you to get. Ultimate Sacrifice, and I have it right here, as I pointed out before. 
it is beat to heck because I've had this book. This is one of the first books I bought on the uh, assassination conspiracy. The other one is Jim Marr's books, uh, which is Crossfire. His other book is called Legacy of Secrecy, which he promised me is in the mail right now on its way uh, to me. <laughs> Signed to say, and don't forget, Lamar, you have to sign it and say, to the most wonderful guest host I've ever had in my whole life from that, Canada. That might be difficult because it's getting shipped from California to Atlanta, but we'll, we'll find a way to get that in there. Somehow. Okay. I want to reiterate a very important fact, folks, one that we expressed many times tonight. The cover-up was to avoid World War III. I had mentioned before (laughs) 9-11 was like a picnic compared to what the Cuban Missile Crisis was like. Remember on the first few months right after 9-11, everybody was on edge. There was that threat about anthrax and everything. Everybody was nervous. We felt we were going to hit again. We were going to get hit again. Now, remember, go back, Cuban Missile Crisis, we're talking about nuclear holocaust, the end of the world. Of course, they're going to cover that up to prevent that from happening. Lamar Waldron, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And you'll be back, my friend, without question. I, I, I want to thank you, too. I do want to say one thing about Jim Mars. I've, I've met him several times, a great guy. Jim Mars said something on a panel I was with him on in, in, in the great Dallas JFK conference, the Lancer conference. And Jim Mars said, look, you know, Lamar and I believe differences in the details. Jim believes in a much bigger conspiracy, you know, which is fine. But Jim said, look, Lamar and I agree about 90% of the things. And, and he said, that's the important thing. We, we agree about the 90%. So I encourage everybody out there, read all the books, read mine, read Jim Mars, read everybody's. But remember, you know, we, we, you know, all of us who believe in conspiracy, let's not focus on our differences. Let's focus on, on, on the 90% we agree on, and let's get that pardon for Abraham Bolden. He's got a new online pardon effort. If you don't have the link to that, I will try to send that to you. I do have it, and it is on my website right now. I encourage everybody, everybody yeah. sign that online petition. Uh, we're working real hard. I've been trying to bring attention to his case since 1993, and... Uh, and so let's pull together on that and to get those million CIA records released before, you know, I have even less. <laughs> Folks, one of the premier researchers in all the world on the JFK assassination, Bobby Kennedy, I'm having you back for soon too, and also Martin Luther King, Lamar Waldron, his books once again, Legacy of Secrecy, and I'll hold this one up, Ultimate Sacrifice www.nightfrightshow.com where you can click on the book cover for every guest that's there. That'll take you right to a spot where you can get his books as well. I'm Brent Holland from Night Fright. Thank you all for joining us tonight. See you next time. to Night Fright and your host, Brent Holland. The time is now. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. Radio.